convicts us of those things. He doesn't convict us because he wants us to feel bad about ourselves. He convicts us so that he can restore us. See, I love that about the Lord because the Lord is not the kind of person who just wants to be like, yeah, yeah, you're a loser. (laughs) You know? The Lord, he reveals who we are so that he can do a fresh work in our lives. And I love that about the Lord because he doesn't want to leave us where we are. God's message to us through today's teaching is one of love and forgiveness. Though we may have sinned in the past, we don't have to live in it forever. God has given us the chance to start again, no matter how far we've fallen. Pastor Daniel will encourage us in this renewed life as he shares what the Bible has to say about sexual immorality in marriage. Pastor Daniel's teaching today contains mature content and is intended for like audiences. Now here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 22 with part two of his message, Talking Marriage. Sexuality is very powerful. And Satan knows it. And he knows if I can get people's eyes off of me and onto each other's bodies, I can get them to make all sorts of dumb decisions. I can get them to wreck their lives. But listen, God wants you to be pure. And listen, if you're here today and you're a single person and you are living in an impure way, listen, ask the Lord for forgiveness and make a new commitment to start following Jesus in your singlehoodness. Not because God is a prude, but because God wants you to have the most amazing lovemaking you can ever imagine within the covenant of marriage. But listen, let's not be naive. For those of you who are married, there's many of us who are here today who are married who are sexually impure as well. Whether you're looking at some junk on the internet or you're flirting with someone at the office or whatever it is, listen, God's standard for purity is a high standard because we are not just anybody, but we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. I always use this example because I love it so much. I love my kids, right? So when my kids' friends come over, I don't bring out the fine china to feed them little hot dogs. Now, we don't even actually have fine china, but if we did, we wouldn't put those in front of Obadiah's friends to save our lives. Why? Because the fine dining instruments are for special occasions. When it's little kids, you just roll out the paper plates. You know what I mean? If they rip them, if they break them, doesn't matter. But you don't bring out the fine china for the little kids. And in the same way, my brothers and sisters, in God's economy, you are the fine china. And you're just not for everyone's use. Whoever tells you the nice things that they tell you or whoever chats you up and snaps you up on Snapchat so that they can do whatever they want to do. No, you're not those. You are God's special ones. And because you are God's special ones, then you are reserved for special occasions. And see, that's what it is. Our culture wants you to have a low view of yourself and God's word wants you to have the proper view of yourself. That you are not just a body. You are not just usable by anybody who says the right things or catch you on the right day. But you are set apart for the Lord. And we need to make sure that 
in our decision-making, we allow ourselves to be set apart for the Lord. And I realize that in a sexualized culture, that can be very hard, but God's sons and daughters, they fight that battle. Because we realize that our world misses the point. I mean, it's amazing to me that literally in 60 years in America, we can go from a country and a culture that valued personal purity to one that actually, if you are pure, they would tell you that you're nuts. That's how drastically the world has shifted. I love it when people tell me, they say, you know, so Fusco, like I know you're a Christian and stuff, but like, you know, Christianity and its sexual ethics is socially regressive. I'm like, oh, really? I'm like, what has liberated sexuality really gotten our culture? Like, what has it really gotten us? Like, so everyone does whatever they want, but what do we have? We have sexually transmitted diseases. We have now 60 million aborted babies. I mean, so it's doing great. It's genocide. Like, what does it really get us? I'm like, how many times has somebody had a broken heart because they got involved in things that God says don't get involved in outside of the covenant of marriage? What does it really get us? It doesn't get us anything. And many of you know what I'm talking about because you've had those experiences where you've made those mistakes and you deal with the brokenness that you feel in your own heart, the mistakes that have been made. So I believe that for those of you who are followers of Jesus, God calls us to a more excellent way. The way of love, the way of we deny ourselves. See, we don't need to give in to the temptations of the moment because we know that God has a better plan. And when you are willing to say, I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm not going to follow the world that we live in, I'm here to tell you, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, isn't it? You say, Lord, I'm going to choose your direction. I'm going to choose your way. Now, moving on from there, Look what happens next in verse 22. It says, if a man is found lying with a woman married to a husband, then both of them shall die. The man that lay with the woman and the woman, so you shall put away the evil from Israel. Verse 23, if a young woman who is a virgin is betrothed to a husband and a man finds her in the city and lies with her, Then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry out in the city and the man, because he humbled his neighbor's wife. So you shall put away the evil from among you. Verse 25. But if a man finds a betrothed young woman in the countryside and the man forces her and lies with her, then only the man who lay with her shall die. But you shall do nothing to the young woman. There is in the young woman no sin deserving of death. For just as when a man rises against his neighbor and kills him, even so is this matter. For he found her in the countryside, and the betrothed young woman cried out, but there was no one to save her. Now, these are penalties for adultery. And we get a number of different cases here. The first one... Of course, in 22, if a man is found lying with a woman married to a husband, then both of them shall die. The man that lay with the woman and the woman, you shall put away evil from Israel. Now, of course, it begins with 
two people who were married. And now you all know this, that it says that you shall not commit adultery. It's one of the big 10 commandments. So now if a married man and a married woman, if they have sexual relations together, they cheat on their spouses to commit adultery, then both of them, it's punishable by death. Now, what I think is very, very interesting about this, if you remember in John's gospel, that there was a woman caught in the act of adultery, but they only brought the woman. They didn't bring the man. Why? Because they weren't actually caring so much about following God's law. It was just men oppressing women, which is wrong. Here you get on both sides, both are equally culpable and both it's punishable by death. So again, this is a serious thing. The covenant of marriage is something that needs to be cherished and protected because it's fragile. So in this case, both men and women who have committed adultery, it's punishable by death. In verse 23, if a young woman who is a virgin is betrothed to a husband and a man finds her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city, verse 24, and shall stone them to death with stones, the young woman because she did not cry out in the city, and the man because he humbled his neighbor's wife, so you shall put away this evil from among you. Now, this is interesting because in our culture, two people meet, and they fall in love, and then they get engaged, right? And then they get married. Now, in their culture, it was a culture of arranged marriages. And so what would happen is two families would agree that their children were going to get married. And then at some point, the betrothal period began, which they were legally married, but they had never consummated the relationship. In that culture, what would go on is that when the betrothal period began, the husband would be building a little house on his father's property, be establishing his trade. So he'd have a job, you know? And so that would be going on. At the time that their house was built, then at some point, the husband would come with all of his friends. It'd be a big procession. And they would take the bride and they would go have a big celebration. Then they would consummate the relationship. So when a couple was betrothed, they were legally married, but they hadn't consummated the relationship. This was exactly the place that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was in when she became pregnant with the Lord. They were legally married. They were betrothed, but they had not consummated the relationship. So it's the same kind of a situation here because it says this young woman, she's a virgin. She's betrothed to a husband and a man finds her in the city and he lies with her. So what goes on here is there's a betrothed virgin and there's another man. Now, if it happens in the city, then the idea here is that it would be consensual because the woman could have cried out. Now, I realize it's not, you're like, what about this? And what about this? Whatever you come through mountain, you have all these questions. But as a principle, he's saying, if it's in the city, the woman could cry out and the people would hear her, right? Now, you might say, well, how does that really work? And I realize there's a lot of things that are left out here. But the idea is in the midst of a city, there's going to be people around. And again, cities in their culture looked a lot different than cities in our culture. Right? And so the idea of it happens in the city, then it was consensual. And both, again, are punishable by death. Now, then it also tells us if it happens in the countryside, only the man is culpable. Why? Because the idea of it happened in the countryside, if the woman cried out for help, there might not be anyone to hear her. So again, these laws are putting in place when adultery happens in these different cases, these are the principles by which to judge what is right and what is wrong. And again, it keeps coming back to this phrase, so you shall put away this evil from among you. So all forms of adultery, again, are punishable by death. Why? Because adultery in action is the breaking apart of that picture of Jesus and his church. Jesus' faithfulness 
to his bride, his bride's faithfulness to Jesus. Now, at this point, it probably makes sense to bring up a theme that comes up often in the prophetic books, which is the fact that when God's people are following after other gods, that God sees them as spiritually adulterous. Like the prophet Hosea, God invited him to marry a prostitute named Gomer. Right? And literally what what God is saying is, I want you to embody exactly what my people, the children of Israel, are doing to me. They are running after other gods, just like Gomer is running after other men, but I'm married to you and I'm going to keep receiving you back to myself. So at this point, it's important that you have to ask yourself, am I cheating on God by following after other gods? Now, I know you may say, well, listen, no, I believe in Jesus. I'm here at church, Fusco. I mean, come on. But following after other gods, whatever you wake up in the driving passion of your life is, that is your functional God. And for many people, they would throw out their Christian faith just to make a little bit more money. They throw out their Christian faith to be able to step over somebody in the corporate pursuit. We all sorts of things. For some of you, I mean, some of us will give up our Christian faith for a custom car or a soap opera or something. And so the question is, is are you being a spiritual adulterer? Now, I know of it's like, well, we're in church right now. Come on. I'm even here on a Wednesday night. Like, I'm taking this Jesus thing seriously. But what's interesting is the children of Israel would have said this exact same thing. They didn't heed the prophet's warnings because they weren't self-reflective at all. They just always assumed, not me. But I love the example of the disciples. Only Judas Iscariot had it in his heart that he was going to betray the Lord. And when Jesus is sitting with his disciples, he says, and one of you is going to betray me. You know what it says in the Bible? They all said, is it I, Lord? It was only in Judas's heart, but each one of them allowed what Jesus was saying to to give them a moment of pause, to check their own hearts. And I wonder what would happen if each one of us said, Lord, so tonight in the book of Deuteronomy, Fusco said, am I spiritually adulterous? Am I cheating on God? Is my heart aligned with other things above the true and living God? Lord, if that's so in my life, will you reveal it to me? I want you to pray that prayer. Don't just assume because you're at Crossroads or maybe you serve or you do this or you're a missionary, you do this, that it's all right because it's very easy to go into the calisthenics of being religious and not really have a relationship with the Lord. I mean, the Pharisees of Jesus' day were a great example of that, right? They were very serious about following the law of God and they crucified God in the flesh when he came. So oftentimes we have to be careful. We have to ask ourselves, Lord, is it I, Lord? And at the same time, it's also important to say, if the answer comes back, you, it is you. Or like it happened for King David when Nathan called him out on his adultery with Bathsheba. He said, you're the man. If it comes back that you are the man or you are the woman, flee into the arms of Jesus. Because before the foundations of the earth, Jesus knows who all of us are. And there is no sin that is unforgivable except for rejecting Jesus. And I'll be honest with you, that is not a license to live however we want. That is now a a reality that we respond to so that we might live differently in this world. Listen, I've found myself to be spiritually adulterous before. 
I found myself, I believe in Jesus, and I'm straying after other things. I got my eyes off the Lord. But the beauty is, is when you realize and you come back to Jesus, you say, Lord, I realize that I am straying. You know what the Lord says? I know you are. Come here. And he grabs hold of us. He cleans us up, dusts us off, gives us a cookie, pats us on the head and says, no, go, don't do that anymore. I still love you. I never stopped loving you. The Lord knows who we are. The Lord knows that we struggle. The Lord knows, like the old hymn says, that we're prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. God knows that we're like that. But that beautiful hymn says, here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. See, the Lord knows that about us. It doesn't shock the Lord who we are. And allow the Lord when he convicts us of those things. He doesn't convict us because he wants us to feel bad about ourselves. He convicts us so that he can restore us. See, I love that about the Lord because the Lord is not the kind of person who just wants to be like, yeah, yeah, you're a loser. (laughs) You know? The Lord, he reveals who we are so that he can do a fresh work in our lives. And I love that about the Lord because he doesn't want to leave us where we are. See, right now, I'm quite sure that there's some of us who are in here who you're hearing this and you are feeling judged, condemned. You're feeling all sorts of things. And I'm here to tell you, God has judged all of us as in need of salvation and he sent Jesus. God has not condemned you because he condemned Jesus in your place. But our job is to acknowledge and confess. That word confess in the Greek literally means to say the same thing as God. If God says that is spiritual adulterous, we agree with him by saying, Lord, I am right there. And he doesn't want us to say it so that we feel shame. He wants to say it so that he can restore us to a relationship. A relationship that what we are doing is in the process of severing right now. See, the Lord is the most relentless lover. He doesn't quit on us when we have a bad day. The Lord doesn't say, I'm done with you when you have a bad week or month. He presses in. He pursues more. And I believe that we're, for some of us, you're here hearing this tonight. This is the last thing you want to be hearing in church right now. But the reason you're hearing this is because God loves you that much. And God says, look, I don't want you to stay the way that you are. I want to do something new in your life. This way that you're going, it's leaving you empty. And you know that it's leaving you empty because it's outside of my purposes and plans for you. Are you done feeling empty? Because I want to fill you up. I want to do something fresh in your life. But Satan's smart because he'll take the conviction of the Holy Spirit and he'll turn it into condemnation to drive us away from Jesus. That's what he wants to do. And if that's you here today, listen, the Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. And if you're walking according to the flesh, you're walking in rebellion against God, you need to just turn around. That's that word repentance in the Bible. You change direction. You're like, look, Lord, I've been in the flesh. Lord's like, I know. When my son was on the cross, he became intimately acquainted with that rebellion. And you allow the Lord to draw you back. And that's what he wants to do. He doesn't want, he's not willing that any of us should perish, but that all would come to repentance. So we've seen slander, Impurity, now we've seen adultery. And look what it says in verse 28. 
It says, if a man finds a young woman who is a virgin, who is not betrothed, and he seizes her and he lies with her, and they are found out, then the man who lay with her shall give to the young woman's father 50 shekels of silver, and she shall be his wife because he has humbled her. He shall not be permitted to divorce her all of his days. Now, this is a situation, and again, if you tie this into what we saw in verses 13 to 21, you realize that if a woman... If a man finds her and they have sexual relations and it's found, then they have to get married. He pays the bride price, that 50 shekels of silver, and they're married for life. He can't divorce her. Because at that point, because she has lost her virginity, then she could be vulnerable in the whole thing of what we had seen previously. So if that happens, now you get married and you can't divorce her. You have to protect her and stay with her and love her for the rest of your life. Again, all protection. It's all protection. In verse 30, notice what it says. A man shall not take his father's wife, nor uncover his father's bed. Now, this also pops up almost in the exact same language. Leviticus 18.8. The nakedness of your father's wife you shall not uncover. It is your father's nakedness. Now, most commentators would tell you this is, obviously it's a prohibition against incest. But the idea is if your father were to get remarried and you lay with your father's new wife, who's not necessarily your mom. Now you might say, well, that's crazy. I mean, who would do that? Well, Jacob condemned his son Reuben for doing that with his concubine, his wife named Bilhah. You can read about that in Genesis chapter 35. And in the prophecy about Reuben, that comes up again in Genesis chapter 49. And so... It's something that happened. And what's interesting is if you go into the New Testament, there in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, remember, there is a man who the Apostle Paul tells the church in Corinth that they need to exercise church discipline on this man because he is having a sexual relationship with his father's wife. And what's amazing is that you need to put that guy out of the church. Now, what's amazing is God's heart in church discipline is not punishment. It's meant to be restorative. Because what's beautiful is if you read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, you find that this guy repented and Paul's like, no, no, you need to take him back now. Like the reason we exercise church discipline was so that he would repent so that you can bring him back into the family. And so that you find all that in 1 Corinthians 5 and 2 Corinthians 1 and 2. So we might say, well, that's crazy, but it's, we find it in a number of places in the Bible. And so the reality is, is that this isn't something that should be going on. Again, why? Because notice it's nor uncover his father's bed, it says. In Leviticus, his father's nakedness. See, when God sees a man and a woman married, he sees them as one flesh. So the nakedness of his wife is the nakedness of the man himself. And oftentimes, I think one of the things Satan does the most in marriages is he makes you think that you're not one flesh. He makes you think that you're two. I'm going to be teaching this in our Real Talk series from Matthew 19. That a man shall leave his father, his mother, and he shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And if you're here today and you're married, that gal on your arm or that man on your arm, you guys are one in the eyes of God, not two. What God has drawn together, let no man separate. Jesus is Though we may fail in following God's laws, we're given ample opportunity to start fresh. This includes the area of sexual sins. 
which Pastor Daniel taught in today's message. All of the laws we studied pointed us to the purity that God wants in the lives of married people and in the lives of single people. By following God in every area, we'll be able to keep ourselves in a pure union with Him and live differently than the world around us. Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. One of the things that I'm the most stoked about is that this year we launched a brand new campus in Southwest Portland. We would love to invite everyone to come and join Crossroads Southwest Portland on Sundays at 10 a.m. We're growing, and honestly, not just in Southwest Portland, but all over the country and the world as people join us at our online campus, 9, 11, and 1 p.m. or Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. on our online campus, crossroadslive.tv. Now here's Josh with what's coming up on our next edition of Jesus' Real Radio. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel continues to present a hodgepodge of various laws from the book of Deuteronomy. Each law is significant to us still today and reveals the way that God desires for us to live. Though our salvation no longer lies in keeping the laws we'll be studying, we do need to know how our Creator wants us to conduct ourselves among other people, to show them a different way of life. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Blueprints. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.